Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. It's summer. So, I thought I'd do some summer specials. I thought I would reach out to some previous guests that have been on and talked about their seven records. Uh, and I thought I would reach out to some of them and say, look, do you want to come back on? But we'll kind of switch the songs for gigs and we'll talk, we'll talk live shows and we'll talk festivals. And that's what I've done. And I've had some wonderful chats. And today's wonderful chat... He's with my friend Sam Duckworth, a.k.a. Get Cape, Wear Cape Fly. A lot of you spoke very passionately about Sam's first episode when he talked records. It was a lovely chat. Um, I think it was probably one of the last ones I'd done before lockdown. I went down to Sam's studio in Southend and, and we had a lovely chat. Um, and yeah, he's, he's one of my favourite people to, to talk to. Um, always got such wonderful answers and, uh, and a very, very good soul. Um, you're going to hear that chat in a minute. Before that, just some thank yous. Thank you to 76 for producing this podcast. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody on the Distraction Pieces Network. You hear me say this every week. I take it you guys have gone and explored the Distraction Pieces Network, right? Because there's some ace podcasts over there. I mean, I know that most of you have probably stumbled onto this one uh, via uh, Mr. Pip, but... Um, Go get stuck into to, to so many uh, of the ACE podcasts that are available on that network. And I'm very, very proud to be part of it. I'm also very, very proud to have um, a little podcast following. And that's you lot. Uh, and so I just want to kind of say thank you. Because it's been a weird a weird few years, you know. Not, not two years just yet. But um, it's been a weird time for everybody. And, and I've you know, tucked myself away in the shed at the end of the garden and had these these pod chats with everybody and it's kept my head straight really. It's kept me where I needed to be and which is connecting with interesting creative people and hearing their stories and talking about music. The things that I like to do when I was down the pub with my friends or, you know, if I was out in the clubs, you know, chatting records with people. And so it's been a real lifeline and it's been an absolute delight to receive messages from you lot and and seeing you know the the likes and the loves and the shares on on the social media and yeah it's just it's it's been a real positive in a very very negative time uh so yeah thank you very very much if this is your first time 
listening to Off The Beaten Track podcast, then when you get to the end of uh, today's episode with Sam, I'd definitely say go and check out um, the first episode I've done with Sam in the back catalogue. We talk in this episode lots about um, Southend-on-Sea and, and Essex, where we live. Um, and you can speak to... Sorry, you can listen to many um, people that are from that area. Um, I guess episode one was Scroobius Pip. He's been back on and done a live show. Um, uh, so go check out the, the chats with Pip, uh, Dan Lassac, uh, The Milk... Um, um, Luke, who owns the label that um, Sam's new stuff's coming out on, Mike Webster, of it, who was in Angerica, uh, and and he's yeah he's he's very much part of the Cool Thing record label as well. Um, so yeah, go check out uh, them episodes and and yeah, and if you want to listen to big old rock bands as well, then listen to my chats with the Foo Fighters, with Motley Crue. Um, Papa Roach, Killswitch Engage, they're they're all there. Um, if you want some Indish Mindish Mindy, then um, well, there's a big old bucket of that. So uh, so go and get lost in uh, in some Ace Indie Natters. Um, I'm not going to reel them all off, but yeah, Swader in there, Idols, Sleaford Mods, go, go go and have a rummage. Uh, and if you just want to have a hoot with some comedians, Ed Gamble, James Acaster. Gosh, oh, there's loads of comedians as well. Go and go and get stuck into them. Maisie Adam, that's a good one. That's a really funny one as well. So um, yeah, go and give that one a listen. And uh, and yeah, producers, uh, Fatboy Slim, um, Butch Vig, Butch Vig. You know that fella that that produced Nirvana, produced the Smashing Pumpkins, Sonic Youth. He's in garbage. So yeah, a lot of stuff for you to go and get stuck into. So go and do that. Um, if you want to support the podcast in any other way than telling your pals or giving it a like, love and a share and a retweet, you can do so and get bonus content um, by signing up for the Patreon, which is 79p a month. Um, and yeah, video episodes over there, back catalogue of maybe 200 episodes you can go and get stuck into. Um, yeah, everything you need to know, www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Right. Enough of my Essex lispy waffle. Let's have some grade A Essex chat now from the always amazing Sam Duckworth. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us, to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. 
keep me stew with him. Okay, we're recording, and it's a pleasure to welcome back former guest and friend Sam Duckworth. Hello. Hello, good to be back. <laughs> it's good to see you, mate. We've, we've, I mean, we've had a, a, a catch-up natter already, um, but I don't think we've seen each other. Have we seen each other since you recorded the first time when I come down to the, the studio? I don't think so. It's quite weird being just up the road. And... I know, I know. Well, there has been a, a what's that thing, a, a pandemic. That, that's it. That's been going on as well, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, we've spoke on the phone, I'm sure. We've, we, we did, did we do the Lily Allen yeah. thing in between then? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Just to clarify, that's a podcast. That's only quite crude then. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so before we get on to this, because this is one of my kind of summer specials where you've obviously been on and you've done your songs, so uh, I've invited you back on uh, to talk about gigs, and hopefully that's something that we're going to see starting again soon. Um, and I guess some venues, they have started already. But before we get on to that, just want to ask you, Sam, how you've found the last 15, 16 months as... Sam Duckworth, human being and recording artist, get Cape, wear Cape. I think it's been a lot of extremes. There have been weeks that have felt like every day has been a week. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that the one I'm, I'm trying to think of, of the of the conclusions really at the moment, just because I'm having to use, I did my first socially distance gig a couple of weeks ago. How was that? And I was like, wow, I forgot. I just completely forgot about all of this. Like how good it was, how like calmer I felt afterwards. Because I just, I guess I'd, I've done it for 15 years, just always been playing gigs every so often. Um, I just, I, I didn't realise how much life is built on little moments to kind of turn the release valve. Yeah. And how much of that, you know, comes from just being around other people and i think that at the same time i've also seen like big groups of communities of a variety of you know parts of my life all come together and get be like let's you know when we come out of this let's do it properly so it's it's been really inspiring it's been completely disorientating and i'm knackered but i've never felt like i've got more energy and I know that that energy is coming partly because of hope and partly because of adrenaline from being tired. You know, I, I'm looking forward to just kind of this moment where everyone can hang out and yeah. it just feels normal again. I think there'll be a moment of intensity where we're like, whoa, you know, even just for me, like the sounds of like multiple voices yeah. of different. I'm like, whoa, OK, this is like, yeah, this is a lot. But then there's going to be a moment where just chilled and we're like, you know what? This is how it was, wasn't it? Or yeah. this is how it is now. And it is so weird. In, in the breaks between um, the first lockdown and the, and the one that we're you know, coming out of now, um, I went up to London for some, for some work. And as I was walking back to the station, there was loads of people standing outside a pub drinking. And I hadn't heard that sound for about nine months. Like, just that kind of connection. And, yeah. and just hearing glasses kind of like clinking and... and people sounding relaxed and just chatting and it yeah. was so strange to hear that 
like I sort of slowed down and sort of thought, right, just just kind of breathe this in because this is this is really odd. This it should this should be the most normal thing ever. Yet it feels yeah. so alien at the moment. And I think the way that this has took so long to get to where we've got, I, I think that as we do come out of it now, maybe, you know, as you said, with some socially distanced shows and and pubs reopening, I think by the time we get to to live, you know, live shows as we knew them uh, and, and nightclubs reopening, I think we'll be better prepared for that moment. But I still think it's going to be, for the first few times, a surreal experience, just being there and being able to kind of hug your friends. <laughs> Even in the socially, di- like, I didn't want to do a socially distance gig. Yeah. You know, I was like, it's not going to be the same. Like, why am I doing this kind of thing? But then also at the same time, I've I've realised that I should. Yeah. You know, I was like, I, le- I need to at least kind of take the baby steps. Yeah. But like, it, maybe it was like that all the time or maybe it was because it's the first time in ages. It was completely like electric shock out of body. Glad you've done it. And then everything became super intense. So I think that... Because gigs are the be- and nightclubs, to me, are like the best things in the world. They really are, mate. <laughs> I'm desperate for them to come back, but at no point in this last 16 months have I said that mm. or felt that because I know that I just can't keep holding on to it for that long. Otherwise, I'll start to get really bummed out. It's, it's weird, Sam. It's like, um, obviously, you know, you, you spent many nights in, in the club that, you know, that I work at and... And 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 we've not said anything for, uh, we still haven't said anything about reopening because mm. it just doesn't feel like it's going to happen yet. And you know we're lucky that because of what we do, we're different to a lot of other places in the area that we're at. That we've got a, a really really lovely, stupidly loyal following that that have helped us throughout it. You know by, you know for people that don't know much about the club, when generally they mention. Uh, the pink toothpaste people will talk about the sticky carpet so so we sold that we 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 chopped that up into little squares framed it and and said does anybody want some sticky smelly carpet and we sold thousands and and it was just ridiculous that people would want a bit of that dank rank carpet on their wall but uh yeah and 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 it's it seems it's because of that that we've not sort of said, oh, when this date happens, this will be happening, because we just don't want to give anyone any false hope. It's like, let's just ride this out. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily subscribe to lots of things that come out of the government's mouth, um, but if all goes to plan on the 12th and the vote gets passed and the 19th means that the doors will be open, then uh, on Friday the 23rd, oh, man. And do you know what, Sam, more than, I mean, there's a whole generation, a whole year's worth of people that have turned 18 that have never been to a nightclub. My daughter turned 18 and has never been to a nightclub, has never (laughs) been to my nightclub. And it's like, it's surreal. And I just can't wait to meet all of these people that are going to step foot in the club for the first time. And, and Mm. lots of people from older generations that, you know, have, have just got all nostalgic you know, on social media about the place and they're saying, as soon as something, we're coming back down. And, and more than anything, you know, meeting them, I, I just want to DJ. I just want to play yeah. some records and just 
watch the joy happen. Like that's I think the big thing that um that I've really missed, just seeing people collectively having fun, which I guess equates to the same as what you do as a as a you know as a performer. I think things that have been loved have been saved. Yeah. You know, I think people, communities have rallied around the things that matter. So I think that everything that reopens that's been saved by people rallying around it, it, it's going to be twice as strong Mm -hmm. because, you know, people have remembered why they are who they are and what got them to the dance. And I think for people of Essex, that's, you know, certainly alternative people of Essex, that's what the brush is. You know, I think that people would talk about, um, you know, the Hacienda as having a kind of almost community centre feel. Mm-hmm. You know, for people that are listening that, that aren't from, you know, from South End and Rayleigh from the area, that's what the brush is. Mm. It's like when, you, when you're into, you know, there's lots of clubs that cater for everything else, but there's not many that feels like it's a people's place. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's going to be Ramo, isn't it, every single weekend? If it ain't, because I need to find another job because I, I, I am not a very good promoter if after 16 months I can't sell out the first night. God, that will be... That will be Do you know what your first tune back's going to be? <laughs> What's that? Do you know what your first tune back's going to be? <sighs> Sorry to be Oh, I don't know. Um... <sighs> Maybe come together by Primal Scream. Wicked. I think that might be the one. Uh, I've just got goosebumps saying that. Safe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, let's stop banging on about my bloody club. <laughs> let's um, let's talk about some shows. Sam, what was the first gig you ever went to? I can't remember. Is the great start. Answer. Like, I didn't. I mean, I know. I know that it could be one of of like three oh, okay. in a very short period of time. Um, the first outdoor gig I can remember, and I think I must have been like 10 or 11, was the Radio 1 Roadshow in Priory Park. Which one? The one that the Spice Girls, when they were number one with Wannabe. So I think it was either that or going to see the cause at Wembley Arena on the Talk on Corners tour. So obviously, you know, I was quite into pop music. But then like my first like gig gigs, um, Green Day at Wembley Arena... And then I went to um, like Tyler Cars' Weapons kind of uh, freak scene all day at Chinneries. Yeah. And they're all kind of in... I, I know that you know the, the road show and the cause came first and I know that the other two gigs were similar. So it's kind of all my sides of my personality. But like, when I think what was my first gig, I'm like, I don't know which one of those it was because, yeah. to be honest, like, I, I can't remember that far back anymore. The road shows were weird, weren't they? Because it was um, one of them things where... It was free, and it wasn't a. It was at Priory Park. Well, not Priory Park. Where was it? Um, it was the one on yeah. by Roots Hall, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was Priory Is that Park. Priory was the Park, one Park that I went to. Like, yeah. yeah, and we we went there a few times. I, I I went to that, and it was there was like before the actual main stuff started. There'd be like stuff that wasn't being transmitted live, and they'd put a warm up on. So I'm going to show my age now. So the uh, the the prelims, if you want, were uh, were East Seventeen. So I saw uh, I saw E17 Excellent. do House of Love. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think who else played. PM Dawn done Set Adrift on Memory Bliss. Awesome. And who was I think Take That might have played. I think it was like an early Take That. I guess it's they were the kind of what is now Big Weekend. Yeah. You know we were quite 
It was quite good to have, have Nevis in Southend, really. Free. Yeah. I know. What's going on? Oh, and Kingmaker. Kingmaker, the indie band played as well. <laughs> that was it. Uh, uh, yeah, it all just sort of steamed down to Southend for a, a free day in the park watching all your favourite pop bands. Glorious. Um, I, I think that's left an imprint on me, to be honest. Really? You know, if, if yeah, I mean, the first, if the first time you see music is music on mass. Yeah. It's suddenly like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is, this is different. And then when I saw music in clubs, I was like, whoa, okay, this is really different. You can see the whites of their eyes in here. This is amazing. Like, you can feel it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I mean, just <clears throat> seeing something as, as visual as, as the Spice Girls at a very young age, like, you know, whatever your thoughts are on them as, as musicians or artists and that, like visually, you know, they, they, it was... It was so well put together, you know, as a pop act that, you know, you'd, you'd pick your favourite one and, you know, was your sporty, was your posh, whatever. Like, did that make a dent, you know, sort of seeing something so striking on stage? I think Britpop was striking. Right. You know, I think that there was, you know, visual arts crossover with, you know, with Blur and with Pulp. You know, Oasis had big striking you know album covers i think the iconography of you know the late 90s was very much like you know individual identity the same kind of language that people are using now i think it was what set the ball rolling so i think that i think the main thing with like that resonated for me with the spice girls is just like it sonically changed pop music what do you mean by that um, just had a bit more act to it. Yeah. You know, and I think that, I think, you know, Indian pop have kind of morphed into one now, but I think that, you know, when I remember growing up, it was a bit more tribal. Yeah. You know, now it's all, you know, the crossover is welcomed. And I think there was, you know, there's, there's definitely been points in my career. I'm like, wow, okay. Like the landscape's changing. We're allowed to do that now. Yeah. Cool. You know, so... I think just seeing varied things, but yeah, like it was front foot, what I would call front foot music, you know, where, where you lead, like they're leaning into it. And it's, you know, that, that, I remember that from that show, like it didn't, you know, it didn't feel like a, like what it did on TV. It felt like it had some like anger to it. So that's probably what I've never heard that before. Front foot music. That's kind of what resonates with me. I think energy. Yeah. Yeah. What was the first show that, you remembered performing it. I can, well, it's my. I can remember my first gig. Okay, let's talk about that. You know, um, that was at Focus Youth Centre, which is now a car park in Southend. Um, yeah, we do. I was in a band with some mates from school, and we just uh, yeah we put on a show in the theatre, and yeah, I can just. It's funny because I, I can remember more the mechanics of the gig than I can remember the gig. Ex- explain what you mean there. Well, I can remember like kind of, you know, I was pushing posters out and promoting it and all of that side. And it's funny because a few people that knew me around when I was putting on shows, like we'd always thought you'd be a promoter. But it's overrated, I, I mate. Think, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I've, it's something that. Um, it, I can always remember the mechanics of shows more than I can remember the being on stage. 
because I think that part of me means like maybe it's just that I like being on stage so I'm not I don't do that like drink it in thing I'm like wow this is fun yeah do you know and so I can remember that more than more than the actual playing I can remember like restringing my guitar all of that stuff all the prep stuff listen up I've only got another new sponsor egg fried it's this super cool clothing label and if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and, and the designer's kind of weird sense of humour in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this, they have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all supporting the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D, save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, they've got a new kids range, and it's called Small Fried, and it's super cool, super cute. Um, And again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at eggfried.com. If I if I cast my mind back to being in bands and playing shows and to DJing and all of the things where I guess I'm entertaining in, in some way, shape or form, fundamentally I'm an organiser and I'm trying to make sure everything goes as planned. And I completely agree with what you've said there. And if I cast my mind back, I remember every other thing other than the shows. And... Mm. Have you learned since? Because obviously, like I stopped performing when the grey hair started appearing. Um, have you learned to kind of? I mean, me playing a local show down in, in, in you know the Esplanade in Southend's a lot different to you walking on stage at these huge festivals and things like that. Have you learned to kind of pause and drink it in there? Yeah, there's been there were some moments where I couldn't remember. Early on into my career, I should remember that. Yeah. And I think that what I've realised is that everything's so photographic now, even my memories are morphing into the angle that the photograph's taken from. That's strange. You know, and it's difficult because the photograph's of me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's wide. It's a wide angle. So, yeah, like, I, I can remember... I can remember doing the Pyramid at Glastonbury more than any other show because, like... I was like, I have to remember this. Yeah. You know, it was like, this is literally the one thing you've always wanted to do in your whole life, and it's happening. If you don't remember this, yeah. you're an idiot. So that, and, but it's funny because I I remember it in the sense of, because it's happening and I'm the idiot doing it, it demystifies the magic for me. Because <laughs> it's like, if they, do you know what I mean? It's like, if they're letting me and my mates do this, yeah. like, Oh, okay. Wow, that's what this is. So what, you think there's a bit of imposter syndrome to it? Like, fucking hell, how did me and my mates end up here? It's a weird one because I don't think it's so much imposter syndrome because it's like, of course we're here. Like, we've worked hard for this. But at the same time, it's also like, but this is this place and it's this thing. And, like, you know, we're all, you know, all the legends are in the same sheds as us out the back. And it's like... It gave me like a whole new level of respect for how things look from the front. Yeah. You know, for for lighting, for crew, for production, for all of that. You know, it made me really understand that like 
what happens on the stage is magical. Yeah. What happens through the speed, like the whole combination of all of those things are what makes it what it is. And, and just to touch lastly on what you were saying about, you know, you remember all the other things, you know, other than the moment for so many shows. Do you think, obviously you, you've got a band uh, and, but I guess a lot of what Get Cape, Wear Cape does is, is you. Um, and so do you feel that might have been different in a more traditional band format back in the day where you could have kind of shared that experience maybe wider and not had to sweat the smaller things so much? Do you know where I'm going? Do you know what I'm saying, Sam? Yeah, I do. I think it's probably more if that's more of a question if it's, if it was a solo artist or a band yeah. more than the timing, because... I think it would be a lot easier in the band. Yeah. You know, but I think it would also come with a whole new set of challenges. Absolutely. So it would be a lot more difficult. Yeah. So I think ultimately it would be it would be a different experience and it's an experience that I'd like to do. Yeah. You know, I've kind of got a new project on the go at the moment with um Deli Sasimi who's the band leader in Fellas Egypt eighty. We've been we've just we've done a kind of band together. Okay. And got a record that's can we talk about yeah, that? Yeah, we've got a first show in September. Yeah, we've got a first show in September at Lee Library Gardens. And um, it's quite, yeah, I mean, I'm such a massive fan of his music. And we met at Felibration about 10 years ago. And, um, yeah, it was really nice. A, fella, a fella's manager introduced us. And um, I'd just come back from doing Africa Express in Lagos. And it was it had become very clear to me that, you know, this is music that I'm going to listen to forever now. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because I remember my, when um, Ian Birrell first sent me some tunes. It was like, check, check this, um, these fellow tunes out before you go to Lagos if you haven't heard these ones. You know, these are bangers kind of thing. And they were like 14 minutes long. Yeah. And like, it, you know, like my, my uncle would listen to a lot of Tony Allen, so I'd always recognise like the drums, but like Tony's songs were like six minutes. Yeah. So, you know, but what, but my like, I come from like punk and pop, really. So like two minutes yeah. is like people are like, why does that go on so long, you know? And um, so we kind of went at it with an energy of like both sides, you know. There was De- basically Delhi and an amazing rhythm section, Callum and Phil, with kind of drumming and structuring and we're chopping things out to get it into a song structure and then writing songs in the evening over the top. Yeah. And kind of adding bits. And it's just, yeah, it's like, it's, it's kind of fresh, fun, like, hybrid of what I do and what he does. Wonderful. And you're playing in Lee? Yeah, playing in Lee. The first show's in the Library Gardens. And, yeah, hopefully, the, all the horns on the album are arranged by a guy, Pete Fraser, who's, who's amazing. So we're going to have a good horn section. And we're going to, you know, we're going we're gonna to have a party, basically, 4th of September. Oh, I'm there with bells on. Yeah, it's going to, yeah, it's time for us to... Uh, Time for us to have a have a dance outside, and it, yeah, the Delhi Sasimi Afrobeat Orchestra are going to play as well. So it's yeah, it's going to be proper. Wonderful. Well, Sam, talking about having a dance outside, I'm going to ask you now: What was the first festival you went to? Reading, 2004. Who was on? Um, I can remember seeing Pulp. I think right. Like my my thing was like I'm go- I, I just want to go in the lockup. You know, watch like, Saves Day and Hot Rod Circuit Thursday. Like, that was my thing. Yeah. Like, 
you know, I remember seeing In Me open the main stage, and that, you know, that was that was wicked. That was really cool. Yeah. So that, but like my memory of those, of that of that festival is um, the lock up, and just like have like I was I'm like an itinerary festivals guy. Yeah. Because I, you know, there's plenty of great places to hang out and drink beers and be stupid. Yeah. But if I, like if all my favourite bands are playing, I want to see as many of them as possible. Of you know, so yeah, we camped out at the lock up basically for three days. Seeing me opening the main stage, how did that feel seeing someone from where we come from doing that? I'm, I'm a, I think I'm from a generation of people in South End where we believe that that stuff should be possible because our parents are part of a generation where South End were the leaders of the music scene. Yeah. You know, so like it's good, but like it was like cool. Okay, you know, this is what we do here, and you know, what was amazing is just to see three people and that amount of people and see how like it's able to be that great. Yeah, you know, it was like it was was amazing to be like you know to be blown away by three people at scale like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was really inspiring to me to be able to see that you know. That's how it worked, humans. And so when you started playing, what bands were inspiring you at that time? I loved Rival Schools. Yeah. Rival Schools are probably, probably my favourite band or up there of my favourite bands of all time. Safin loved um, Rival Schools, didn't it? Every band well, I mean, I think, from Safin seemed to just... I remember... Um, what was uh, Resin? Uh, and I remember seeing Resin and thinking... Yeah, Davey loved. What's that? Davey loved rival schools. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, someone likes rival schools because I remember, and it was Davey's riffs, and I was just thinking... But, oh. but this is what's funny, like, and, and it's, it's really sad and really quite intense to think that, you know, rival schools asked John Hannon to be the guitarist because they just loved Understand. Shut up. Yeah, that, so that's where the South End connection with rival schools comes from, is that... You know, like that band love understands, and you know Walter and John are really good friends, and you know there's a big that scene between you know that that South End scene is so connected to certain world of punk through you know Equal Vision, the South, South. You know, I remember going into a record shop in Berlin and finding the Understand South End single that I've been looking for for ages. You know, yeah. ten years ago, it's like. That, that yeah, that, that's that's that kind of. There's a weird connection between Exeter South End and like the the, the New York scene, and, and you know it, it's increasingly well. It's, it's become very clear that you know John was instrumental in that how that permeated around the the whole town. You know bands were being mushroom, like, you know everything about it. And I remember one of the. Um, I, like, I'm, I was such a massive fan of Rival Schools that when Walter was doing the walking concert thing, I begged Alan Day, who's now my national promoter, um, to let um, me open for walking concert at Oxford Zodiac. Like, I begged him, like, I emailed him like every day because I knew that he was the one person that if I just kept, because BSM had put my records out, I was like, please. And, you know, then well, the next time they came over, well, I got a phone call from, I think Stuart Clapp phoned me, he's like, can can you can uh, walk and concert play at Chinneries this afternoon or this evening? They just want to warm up. They've just landed, and I think they'd, they'd just come to South End to see John and hang out. And 
they were like, that'd be the perfect place for a warm up. I'm like, you know, this is a band that like literally my, my heroes and then like sorting it out. But yeah, that, that the, the South End hardcore sound, yeah. you know, it's, it's something that people have been doing podcasts and it's, people are really connecting. There's a festival coming up. And I think that, you know, understand was so instrumental to that and the more i listen to understand the more i'm like wow that like kind of it either came from fugazi or it came from understand that yeah kind of sound that would like find its way through post-hardcore and then into like that yeah. the, the wave of emo i was really into it's like oh wow like my favorite bands are influenced by the guy who recorded my EP, yeah. and you know, he Jobs like sat me down and made me watch Fugazi instrument. He's like, "You're gonna love this," yeah. and I think that the South, you know, it's really funny how unusual that link is. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's kind. Of, I, I found it quite incredibly profound over these last kind of few months because you know, obviously with John no longer being with us, yeah. and you know how humble it is to be that influential on the world and and downplay it to the point where people don't even really know unless they know yeah and and you know we shouldn't just we we should also point out to people that are maybe not aware of understand uh and their work that post that band that 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 made a very very important dent in that scene um john continued to up until very recently you know engineer and produce great records for so many bands you know both nationally and and locally and uh and the amount of people that would want to go and record their first demo you'd go and you'd, you'd the go-to was to go and see john every time yeah 100 reasons cap down you know right the way through red jetson like there's some big big records and inf- mm. records that touched a lot of people across yeah. across the world that came out of his he worked with a band studio. called big glider um who are an incredible band. Um, and they put a double A side out with, with um, I think it was John's band. Was, was John's band called Woe? He was in a band called yeah, Woe. Yeah, Woe were amazing. And so, yeah, uh, yeah he done a double A side with Beat Glider and, and he worked on that record. And, and for me, to this day, uh, I think Beat Glider are one of the greatest and most prolific bands that have ever come out of where we're from. I think they're absolutely incredible and overlooked. And, yeah, and... And the lovely John was was you know very important in uh, in their output. So yeah, big love and respect to 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 John, what a, a lovely human uh, he was. Um, what was the first gig, Sam, that you done? Where, and I don't mean this in the most rock and roll cliche, but. We all do local shows, and then most of us kind of never get beyond that. And so, you know, we're always scrambling over like one bucket of like six beers between three <laughs> bands and, uh, and, and 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 stuff like that. When was the first show? Because it, it felt to me, looking as an outsider at, at, at Get Cape, that it seemed to kind of happen quickly on, on from from the public perception of it 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 happened very quickly I, I i left i left school i went straight on tour and didn't stop for four years yeah and just every time i'd go and do a headline show it would double in size yeah at what point um, then did you think all oh, right this is a 
this is a proper one now. This this is like this is a proper gig. This one was there a, a gig where you just thought, oh right, hang on, this is this is this is something different from what I've been doing. Not as such um, in terms of my relationship to how I was playing the songs or the audience. That's kind of, I try and keep that as similar as possible mm-hmm. all the way through. But yeah, there was gigs where the circus came to town. Yeah. Like I'd be playing a gig at the Barfly and there'd be like 200 people that I'd know from shows and everyone would come hanging out and there's just like 100 blokes at the back just like with their arms crossed, like trying to see how much, you know money they could spend to look better than the other blokes in the room and I was the prize of the week there were a few of those and um but thankfully then the show started to get bigger so those guys wouldn't be so much in eye shot yeah um I did Brixton in the Taste of Chaos um there's a MySpace competition where like you could play two songs and I just had like um, an mp3 player basically of me and a guitar in front of 6,000 people on my own at Brixton no pressure and I thought it was well funny because <laughs> I, I I don't know I was going to go to that show anyway like everyone I know is going to that show so everyone's like oh man, man this guy must be massive he's like no he just goes to loads of gigs hangs out with loads of people and they're all just at this show and they're all from Essex so they're loud but like that was the moment it was you know I think I was in between like 36 crazy Fist and Kill Switch Engage at Brixton Academy and then did um, NIA in Birmingham and like ev- I think I was the only acoustic guitar that was even in the room. Wow. You know, yeah, so. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas, absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It was, um, it was weird. That was, they were moments where I'm like, this either is a regular thing or like this is a good thing to have achieved to know yeah. that like maybe it's not for you <laughs> yeah. like they, they were the first like okay cool i can i can at least prove my endeavor gigs yeah. the gig where i was like wow this is completely bananas is the where i had done manchester academy too i played that venue a few times supporting and i went out on stage and i realized that Everyone here was here to see me and knew my music, and there's like enough people there that, like, I'm, I do this now. Yeah. 
that that was that that gig was because I kept getting lost up the maze of the you know it's a uni building so there's so many staircases that lead to nowhere. I just kept getting lost all day, and then I went out and I was like, wow, okay, like you just do this now. You get lost all day in university buildings you know eat picnics and play gigs think, <laughs> all right that's a decent life <laughs> it's not a bad one. Oh, you need to come on hardcore listen to do top five pick a mix it's never been done and we need to do it i've i've eaten a lot of sweets so i'm more than happy to talk about them <laughs> should say for those that can't see this sam's not got any teeth left by the way <clears throat> um you mentioned rival schools and your love of them um is there a band to this day that Whenever they tour, you make that effort to go and watch them. Wilco, hundred percent. Like I remember when when I'd um, when I'd first signed my re- first record deal, um, my A and R man Paul. Like we we mostly bonded over like ska and punk and you know politics, and then my agents, um, you know, we, we all bonded over the Flaming Lips and my love for weird stuff, and. Wilco were touring Sky Blue Sky at Shepherd's Bush Academy, uh, Shepherd's Bush Empire, and Paul's like, I'm bringing you, you have to go. Yeah. And um, it was so good. Like, the Wilco live DVD is from that tour. Like, that's the first time I've seen a band and be like, oh, there's a level above. Okay. Like, this room's not a bad room. Yeah. It's like... You know, this you just when you're like, if you've been playing for thirty years and that, that, like you're that good, okay, that's the goal. So like every time they tour, I have to see them because there's enough catalogue there that you know you're going to get different sets. And I'm just, I'm just completely inspired by the idea that you know their attitude is like we do this, we're trying our best, and we love it. And we're pleased that you love what we do. Yeah. And that's it. Like, there's no... there's It's just a mutual love for the art of playing music in a room. And just everyone goes with a sense of occasion because they know it's going to be sick. So, like, you just... They're just a band that, like, every time they play or every time Jeff Tweedy does something, so, like, I have to be there. Yeah. They're, without doubt. Like, I, when um, I played in Chicago, I did... Um, a, I was touring and um, supporting Nick Mason from Pink, Pl- Pink Floyd's got a band called Saucer Full of Secrets, mm-hmm. which is, they do the uh, early Floyd catalogue. That's with Martin, uh, Gary do... Kemp, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, it's Gary yeah. and a lo- lovely bunch. They, I was fortunate enough to do their U- US tour. And so I was in Chicago. I was like, right, I'm going to email the loft and just say, look, you know, just so you know, I'm not a chancer. The reason I'm in Chicago is because I'm supporting Nick Mason. And they're just like, pop down. And I just went to, to have a look around the studio and I was just, because I know that one day I'll, that's the, my dream to record there. So I went on, yeah, I love Wilco that much. Like when I was going around Chicago, like ticking off places on lyrics and stuff. Amazing. So I went in to see the studio, but yeah, like if anyone hasn't seen them, like they're a band that people who love Wilco will make you get into them. Yeah. If you like live music and eventually the penny drops and then you become that guy, which I now am on this on this podcast to everybody listening. I've become the Wilco evangelist. But yeah, it's just incredible. Brilliant. That first tour, leaving school and going on tour for four years, which sounds insane when you say that, lad. Um, what were your sort of expectations of going on tour? Because that's, you know, everybody that 
picks up a guitar or you know plays a piano or writes a song like everybody's goal is to you know to go on tour and what were your expectations of that um were the realities of it different i didn't have any expectations whatsoever i'd um we used to organise like coach trips if we're playing at the Army and Navy from, you know, we'd pick up on Victoria Avenue and get a coach of people to, you know, to prove that we had a fan base, yep. but we just break our own, you know. And so I assumed that Tor was doing that, but you just found somewhere to sleep. Yeah. And to be honest with you, that is not far off what it is. Touring out of control is a school trip with no adults. I mean, that's got to be the best, uh, you, right? Yeah, I mean... It, <laughs> And if you can get that right, where you can like plan it, you can really like it's incredible. But it has its own challenges. You're away from location, but I I'm okay with sleeping anywhere. I can sleep in a car. I can sleep standing up mm-hmm. if I have to. Now, I think that's come from touring. You know, it was a, there was very much a case of like I wasn't I was because I was on my own. It was always easy. For, like for a promoter, I could just. You know, I'd say, can I sleep on your sofa or whatever? Yeah. I've got to get bus to the next show. Um, yeah, I didn't. I don't, I don't think I had any expectations of what it would be like because um, the fourth wall hadn't been removed by the internet yet, and I'd always assumed that like big bands putting out documentaries is they're only going to show the bits that make them look good. Yeah. So, is it? You know, so they. You know, I'd spoken to bands about what it's like, and they're like. You're sleeping on floors and it's carnage, but you wouldn't swap it for the world if you get bitten by that bug. Yeah. So that was my first experience of tour. It was just, you know, it was like, I don't know, I'm, I'm a dive head first in and just ride it out yeah. kind of guy when it comes to taking risks and things like that. So I, I was fortunate, you know, my parents were very, like, they weren't, you know, I got, I got my A-levels and they were just like, if you can do this, like take a gap year and i'm still on the gap year it's <laughs> <laughs> 16 years later so it's yeah it's kind of it's worked out okay in that sense yeah i think so i think so um i mean over you know the years that you've been playing i i imagine you've played with some incredible bands that you know that have been heroes of yours such um what have been who are some of the bands that you've played with um, or have supported you, or you've supported that you've had some of the best times touring with. I think there's bands that when you get into festival loops that you see regularly, yeah. who you don't know that you have a mat, you feel like you have a, a deeper connection to their music with. Yeah, and then there are people that you tour with regularly and you spend time with who become almost part of your family. Because you see that, like the be- like in tour, you see the best and worst of each other. You know, like um, my 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 favorite bands to watch before, you know, or get, get me hyped up. You know, Telesin. Yeah, I think Telesin are arguably the best band of the whole generation, and it's absolutely baffling to me why they're not like ten times bigger than they are. Yeah. They're just they're so good. Been and you know watching them for for 15 years you know fortunate to have had a you know big lifelong friendship with Kate Nash and family you know Jay who I met when the first we first played the show together 16 years we ran a studio together yeah you know you know we 
we're all friends with each other's families and stuff you know that's that's there's so many parts of my life that if you took live music away i wouldn't really know anyone do you, do you feel there's like um you know some of those people that you when your career started their career started at the same time it's, it's really strange i mean our mutual friend um pip uh, you know he often talks about early shows with kate nash and paloma faith and uh i think it was adele as well um just you know on on this little scene you know doing lots of spoken word shows and things like that and yeah. and that connection that he has with with them still seems to be there now and it, you know do you think something's formed in them early early years sort of you know gigging together and hanging out together that that doesn't necessarily even though everybody's careers go completely different places and at different times do you think there is something you know a little bond at the beginning that that, that stays strong that's a school trip. <laughs> yeah, it really is. You know, when you get together with your mates and you talk about, you know, where, like it's a, or, a, or a festival, like people go, oh, yeah, do you remember when that happened? That's what you've got. Yeah. Because that's the, it's a lot of your firsts, first time playing on an outdoor stage or, you know, first time being able to watch your mates' dreams come true. Yeah it's it's a really like it really is an intense bond but i think also there's a solidarity that comes from it's it's like it's it's like being on a cruise ship you know and there's only so much um music industry that young people can take before they need to turn to their friends who are going through similar experiences to try and work out what's what Mm. So I think that a lot of those bonds are also forged on the sense that we're all going through the other side of it yeah. together at the same time. And what's great is that everyone just kind of, you know, goes off and does their thing and now you just see people in the field and the love's still there. You know, it's it's really cool in that sense. You know, it's like it's a lifelong connection with people. And, and moving up to speed now and looking back in retrospect on them times as well, <clears throat> what changes have you seen in, in the kind of live circuit and the way that gigs and tours are put together from when you first started to now. Let's take the pandemic out of this mix as well. Yeah, it, It's a difficult one because there's not a lot has changed and a lot's changed. And a lot of stuff still needs to change. But I think that I just have this feeling after this, you know, 16-month hiatus, that actually it's going to, a few things that needed to be changed are going to be better. I mean, the main thing that's changed is that people look at numbers on a computer and judge whether something has a fan base. You know, so much is getting judged on, like, Spotify plays and videos, and I think it's a lot of pressure because some of these younger artists have millions of plays but are just starting out gigging. You know, I think that there's two music industries again, like there was in the 80s. There was the recorded one and the live one. And I think that what I'm noticing is that the live bar is so high. Like, people are so good. The internet, you know, and the fear of camera phones or whatever it is, like, there's no escaping now. Yeah. You know, people are on it. Like, the quality's good. Like, and, and also, technology's getting better. Venues are getting better. Venues are getting more in tune with, you know, the the, the fact that they are safe spaces and they are you know, important spaces in people's social and cultural development. Absolutely. You know, and I think as, as that as that only grows, you know, as long as we protect the venues, you know, like the Music Venue Trust have this 
this last two years, you know, and we'll continue to do. As as long as we protect those venues that people feel like they're home, it's just going to get better and better and better. Absolutely. Like technology now, the things that you know, I I, t- I remember having to have this like two, it it was like five foot like a hundred kilo flight case to hold like what is now something I could do off my phone. Yeah. And we had to, you know, lug it up and down flights of stairs and what have you. And it's like tech now is a game changer. Yeah. You like the things that people can do. So it's like live is more in like imagination land than ever before. You know, like before it'd be like, is this possible? Now it's like, what's impossible? Who cares? We'll just invent something if we can't. I used to have to buy an estate car just to put my three record boxes in to go and DJ, and now it's it's a USB stick on my key ring. <laughs> what the fuck's that about? <laughs> but but it's, it's funny, like, like, everyone I talk to that's, like, that used to lug records round, they're like, I'm like, what do you prefer? And I think everybody romantically obviously prefers records, but, like, I think that unless you've lugged records around... Yeah. The convenience of a USB stick yeah. over, like, oh, it Absolutely. must open up, must make some gigs you're like, yeah, I could do that yeah. now because how am I going to collect my records and all that? I mean, that said, the last time you come and DJ for Pip and I, you played vinyl. Yeah, I, I just, like, I've been going through them all and I was like, you know what, I need, like, I need to play some of these out. <laughs> and what, what, what it encouraged me to do is to actually, like, connect the record player up to the studio and, like, get proper masters of them lovely because it's you know that is one of the things that is great about playing things on record or you know increasingly on cd as well is that there are versions that you just can't get elsewhere definitely we mentioned you know venues what's your favorite venue my favorite venue is the london story it's gone so now i've just decided not to pick favorites yeah yeah. You know, like that was that was a like, I loved that place to like to within an inch of my life, and uh, I think there's loads of venues that I really love in the UK. I'm I'm increasingly getting you know attached to a few, but I am concerned. But I, I'm pleased, like King. You know, I'm going to King Tut's, going to Brudenell Social Club, going to Hebden Bridge Trades. You know, there's a, there's a few places that going to on this Chronicles tour that I'm like bang up for going to. Gorilla in Manchester is always oh, a good vibe. Good to see that. Still so yeah, it's like, there's there's a lot. You know, they, I'm glad that 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 they saved that. Mm. You know, that was that was going to be. I was like, please don't let what happened in London happen in Manchester. I'm so glad that they managed to save yeah. that because I think it would have been. You know, like the Ritz is banging. Like Manchester's got some amazing venues, but those two yeah. for like indie world, definitely super important. So I'm glad that they they saved him. But yeah, like they, to be honest, I've got loads of favourites. My ultimate place in my heart's story. I've got the fire escape sign in in my toilet. I've got <laughs> really? Of it. Well, I did because uh, I organised the last show with um, Larry Sonics. He used to do the clubs yeah. at the Borderline, um, and. I went into, there was a documentary being filmed at the end and I was like, that was, they were like, can, I was like, can I take that? Because the, um, those who remember, there was that Benji's, that sandwich shop on the corner mm-hmm. and there was the alley where you queue up around the corner. Um, that door is the door you got thrown out if you were crowd surfing and escorted back in. But it was also like, it was also your loading door. Yeah. So I was like, I want that fire escape. 
because I've seen that on both sides in my life, and that's <laughs> like they're like, "What do you want to take?" I was like, "That's the thing that I want to take." Like, yeah, it was, you know. But I, I played there on my twenty-first birthday. I went to like I'd go there. There were the LA two every weekend for years. Tell me about some you know, of your favourite like, bands you've seen at the Astoria. Um, whew, that's a good question. What's so many? Um, probably Rival Schools at the Astoria is one that really sticks, like because it was a massive show yeah. for that band. I bumped into Dave Swallow, who worked at Chinneries, and still, you know, he's an amazing sound guy, like absolute legend. Um, but I bumped into him that show, and we both had the same Rival Schools T-shirt. And his first words were like, "What? Are you, what are you doing here?" And I think that was like we were chatting, and then, it, then after that, like I was allowed to talk to the adults at Chinneries. <laughs> I so know what you mean. <laughs> like, so that was kind of like that's probably like the memory I was there. Was, yeah, I was there with my dad. Like, my dad would come to loads. You know, f- Thursday was banging. You know, it, it's it's fresh. Well, it's it's hard sometimes. You know, in in the scene that I'm from, because unfortunately. Um, it seemed to have been played with a quite a, a poisonous culture where a lot of the really great shows of bands that they're not they don't look so good in to look back on in history now so yeah but i don't know it was it, it was just everything about it mm. like it was your ultimate for like those of you that other parts of the country you know it's your classic thousand downstairs thousand upstairs yeah. um Everything is um, every, everything has to be painted painted in tar because nothing else can take the level of grime left. Yeah. Like there's there's no there's no hope for any of it. It's like there isn't even a sticky carpet anymore because it's been worn through and yeah. it's just been filled in with tar and chewing gum. One of those absolute bangers of a venue. Really is, really is. I, I got to see Blur um, when they put out Think Tank. Uh, mm. Think Tank was the one without Graham, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that, the track that Norman Cook done, Crazy Beat, on it, I think. Mm. Uh, and I saw them play the Astoria. Uh, I think it was with... Um, uh, it wasn't Nick McCabe. It was the, the other guitarist in the Verve. I can't remember his name was playing for them at the time. Um, oh, my God. It was like... And I've, Blur's the band I've seen the most, um, even mm. though I'm not a, a huge, huge Blur fan. I've just seen them so many times. And it's weird because I love Graham Coxon, but that show was probably one of my favourite of a Blur gigs. And I've seen them in tiny venues and I've seen yeah. them at Wembley Arena, but seen them at the Astoria. And it felt to me that Damon had something to prove that night, that that band didn't yeah. need Graham to be what it is. And he just seemed to just launch himself into it with all that kind of energy that I remember seeing in the modern life gigs and stuff like that. And yeah. that show at that venue sticks in my head as one of my favorite ever gigs. So I'd, I'd go for the Astoria. I love a venue that brings that out in people. Like I went to both nights at Death Cab at the Astoria and like they're a notoriously quite, you know, poised band, yeah. but they, they ripped. Yeah. So, I mean, like everyone that had a bit of guts, so I like, yeah. dug it out because you're in, you know, you're in, Oxford Street, Central London, in the Astoria. You know, Green Day at the Astoria was bananas. Yeah, that's like, crackers. People, people would go hard. Yeah, because they knew that like if you can't do it at the Astoria, 
but you can do it at Wembley Arena. Yeah. Like the fans would be suspicious. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, from favourite venue to favourite festival. My favourite festival is Glastonbury. Um, I went to I went to Glastonbury as a, a punter in 2005, and then it was a fallow year in 2006, and that was the year I was touring hard. So my first Glastonbury playing was 2007, and we were like halfway up the other stage and co-headlining the John Peel, and it was just like, what on earth has happened? And like I had to go into uh, Sarah's wheels, pick me up, and whisk me across to the. Uh, park to be a part of Africa Express I ended up doing Rock the Casbah with Rashid Taha and Damon Albarn on stage and it's just, like that year was so wild that you know it you know family came everything like we went in and I, I just I love everything about it because it's it's just got so many bands and acts yeah. that I want to see like that, I, I know that the Glastonbury has the magic of, you know, of the theatre and the presentation and the history, all that. But I just like the fact that, like, I can go and see Moody Man at 3am. You know, I can, you know, I, I love it up in the temple. Yeah. You know, I want to, you know, I want to go and see, like, Hard Rave. And I just haven't really got the, the, the constitution to be able to do that in a non-festival environment anymore. Like, there's some clubs... You know that I, I want to hear the music and I want to dance a bit, but I'm a bit scared of. If I'm, I'm not going to lie, you know, maybe that's part of getting older or what. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> Definitely, that, is, like, mate. Definitely is, Definitely is. <laughs> but it has that, and then, like, you know, on Sunday, you go, you know, into the left field and get some, like, rejuvenating politics. Yeah. You know, that that... Like that, no festival to me has that mixture of people going hard yeah. with open minds. Yeah, absolutely. you know, I love that combo. Okay, so Sam Stock, right? Which is going to be this new festival, right? You need wow. to create five bands. Who's going to play your yep. dream festival, alive or dead? First things first, I'm definitely not going to play. If I'm going to be involved in that, like, I'll get a good production team in, but I don't want to be doing anything. I'm going to be watching these okay. up front and centre. Right. So, you know, first thing, it would probably be more appealing to the ticket-buying public. <laughs> I would... Um, <laughs> I'd have, like, I'd do it in, a, in an order. Like, I'd have I'd have Felicuti and Egypt Dati, 100%. That would, they, they would kick it off. Mm-hmm. And for like two hours, so people can loosen up a little bit and have a dance. Beautiful. Um, probably Jill Scott with the Roots. Oh, good shout! Be, you know that I think that'd be by by the time that's done, like you're going to be really up for it. Um, oh, it's difficult because I'm thinking of it. How what what festival do I want to go to rather than what festival? <laughs> You know, 
as I'm thinking of it and how it would make sense. Probably something super hard in the like in the middle, you know, prodigy. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, I think you know if you know after that, people would be well up for it. And then the Arcade Fire Neon Bible Tour era. Oh yes, please. You know, and then to close, um, LCD Sound System. That'd be my headliner. I, if if LCD Sound System couldn't do it, then Talking Heads. Yeah, yeah. I mean, LCD Sound System. I've took lots of the good bits of Talking Heads as well to get where they've got as well. And the thought of, I take it they're going to finish with uh, We're Your Friends, right? Yeah, you'd, you'd assume so. Like, um, I've I've seen LCD Sound Simpson close a few festivals. I think it's difficult for me because like, I've seen fe- like the fella footage is on the BBC at the moment, Jill Scott on the Roots on Dave Chappelle's block parties. So I can visualise it. Like, I'm quite, I have, you know, so I, there's, Prince Closing Hop Farm is the best festival set that I've ever seen. But I, I, I don't know, in terms of what I love about OCC Sound System is, um, you know, it's that, that's how it starts, that oh, piano, that everyone so everyone good. in the crowd knows what's about to happen. And there's just this energy where like, everyone's trying to find the people that they love. And that atmosphere to me, like when that happens at a festival is unbeatable. Yeah. Where like everyone knows that where the song is, the conclusion of the song, and everyone knows by that point it's going to be just pure emotion. It's the ultimate money shot, isn't it? It's like it just yeah. builds and builds and builds. And the... Um, what was the documentary called? Shut up and was it Shut up and play the hits? Shut up and play the hits. Yeah, like the the performance of that track on there is just incredible, mm. and it's one of my go tos if I'm on a YouTube kind of fest of watching things that just I know are going to fire me up. Then yeah. that's on there. Uh, and the fact that even on the trailer for the movie, when they show that clip, I know that they don't sing on that actual version on mm. there, but Arco Fire are there as well, aren't they, at that show? And like, oh, yeah. Both of them bands, like, solid choices there, Mr. Duckworth. But I'm going to have to add a last-minute addition, because as you were saying that about getting fired up, I was also like, Shy Effects, Notting Hill Carnival set. Oh, Definitely. That has to be in there too, because that—that's the other time. Like the, the my, my two loves, like and when yeah, when drum when drum and bass has that same thing, yeah. it's like yeah. That, so if if we're allowed to have some guests, you know. Well, you've already then, said it, so you've uh, you've took the piss and you've just jumped in and done it anyway. So uh, I'll let you perfect. off, though, Sam. Well, you know, it's, it's better to apologise <laughs> after, isn't it? These Essex people just do whatever they yeah, want to do, is. don't they? Um, <laughs> Sam, what's happening then? So you've got a new record, um, and I believe it's coming out on uh, Cool Thing? Yeah, so I put a single out. I'm just kind of working away, really. I've got, I've, I've got a lot of... Um, forget Cape Land. I've got a lot of songs ready. I'm kind of working on an album. It's, it's odd for me to say that last Get Cape album was 2018, because it feels like that's actually quite a long time ago yeah. for me. Usually I'm quite prolific of, with it. I've got the record with Deli Sasimi, which has just finished... And, um, yeah, the, it, it's really nice, actually, to have a studio here in Southend to be producing, working with other, other artists, younger acts, you know, hanging out with mates and making music. So I'm kind of, I'm in this hyper-creative stage where there's just so much stuff going on. And I think what's going to be exciting is, you know, I've got Chronicle's 15-year anniversary party in September that's going on for six weeks now. So... Like I'm, I'm quite pleased to have loads of songs written, and I'm really hyped to go out on tour. Wow! 
Wonderful. And then I'll come back and finish the album. And so uh, the track that you put on Cool Thing, just uh, for people that uh, may not be aware of, of Cool Thing, we've, I've spoke to... Um, you, you can go and listen to previous episodes of this podcast where uh, I've spoke to uh, Luke, who is um, a, a pivotal part of that label. Um, and, uh, and I spoke to Mike as well. Um, so d- tell us a little bit about the, the label and how you come to be releasing the track on it. Well, I've, I've known Luke Branch from his bands since, you know, those first gigs. Yeah, He would have been you know, at number two or three, yeah. maybe for me, yeah. with Smother. You know, and Smother and Garrick used to play together. That was like, I was, was going to be there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I've always, you know, and I've so Luke and Mike have known for music. And then working on a, a project with a lot of other residents, a community project to to restore the Kersel in Southend. Met Haley, who works for Cool Thing. Um, and... You know, Reese, who I have the studio with, records loads of bands on the label and I've been working with Blab on for her stuff. It's just a family record label, really. It's people from South Ed and, yeah. and people working on something that they, you know, really believe in. And I just love that energy. And, you know, we, we had a meeting with my manager and it was, everyone was like, this feels really natural to just do it. And we just, you know, we'll just see what happens, really. Like, I've, they've done an amazing job. Yeah. You know, uh, and I just, I don't know, I love their energy. I love their passion. I love the fact that it's South End. Yeah. You know, I know I, I'd thought, you know, it's funny touring an album where like one of the songs on that album 15 years ago is like, you don't not identify, you know, you don't have to be identified by who, where you're from, you know, whatever. But it's like, I totally disagree with myself now. Yeah. I was an idiot. Like I am, you know, the South End, there is a South End energy and intensity and I love that there's, you know, a sick record label in the town. Absolutely. That I can I can work alongside to to get my music out. Like, I, I, you know, we will believe and trust in each other. It's good. It is. It's a beautiful thing to look in on, and and it is. I think that that label. Um, I, I mean, I think it was probably like maybe three or four years ago now. I mean, I don't know how long Cool Thing's been going. It's probably must be more than that. Because I remember the last time I saw John Kennedy, he was he was saying, "Have you seen like what's going on in your hometown?" And I was like, "Yes, of course, like, I know." And he was like, "It's incredible what they're doing there, and the fact that you know that you know we come from a place, although I'm not directly from South End, um, I still kind of feel very much part of that. You know, so much of the stuff that's gone on there, so many of the people that are involved in that have, have at some point come through. If you don't get to say you're part of South End, then we have to revisit the rules, mate. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Come on. <laughs> Rayleigh's only a couple of miles up the road. Yeah. I'm getting in. I'm getting in. And, uh, <laughs> I'll come in as your plus one, mate. But um, but yeah, and it's, it's you know, from, from you know, I'm old enough to, to kind of I've seen, you know, the 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 noise that Understand made, and mm. you know, and the bands from then and going through to seeing, you know, people like yourself, the Horrors, and you know, and and bands, you know, just further aside like the Milk and, and the Scroob, mm. like just do some incredible things, and and yeah, and you just become fiercely proud of that, and 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 watching the likes of of Smother and Engerica, you know, and the aforementioned Resin. You know, to to see that these people are still actively doing really cool things. There you go. They're doing cool things. And that that wasn't meant to have been a pun, but they really are. And that 
that comes from passion and and love and i think that you know long may it continue i think it's going to be impossible for it to not continue forever yeah you know that's what's great about the energy of everybody that's doing stuff in south end in the nicest possible sense of definite lifers yeah absolutely you know and i think that we're getting more and more proud of that as an as a as a county essex you know that i think for so long people are like, oh you, you know you can't make an essex you have to go to london i think that that's over now 100 percent. and i think that now it's the time to see what proud essex people look like when they come together i don't think anyone's ready for it yeah can't wait sam it's been absolutely delightful talking to you i knew it would thanks be thanks for having me man always i love it cheers man Ah, wonderful, 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 wonderful. Always a pleasure getting to catch up with Sam. He's such a good soul. And yeah, and it's great. You know, you've had a good chat when, well, when you were chatting for half hour before you press record and then you carry on nattering afterwards as well. So yeah, um, what a lovely human being. And yeah, glorious chat, glorious chat. Um, I'm back next time. In the meantime, um, please go check out the back catalogue. Um, go and listen to um, the first episode Sam done. I think it's even a two-parter. We had such a lovely chat um, uh, about Sam's you know, formative years and the records that have been pivotal in his life. So go, go get stuck into that chat. And uh, yeah, and just go and get lost in another 300 or so episodes in the back catalogue. And if that's not enough, you greedy shits, then uh, there's another few hundred episodes um, on the Patreon. And you can find out about all of them things at www.offthebeatand. That's beat and, not beaten, beatandtrackpodcast.com. I'm back next time, you lovely lot. Be excellent to each other. I'll see you soon. Love you. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Me, stew with him. Eat